bit younger, they were happy to offer my wife and I driving advice. You know, slow down here, stop here, um, turn there, speed up here, whatever they saw fit, they would tell us how to drive. And when they did, it always put a smile on my face. Why? Because they were five and six years old and they had absolutely no driving experience. Sometimes we're a bit like this with God. We want to tell him how life should go. We overestimate ourselves. This morning we're going to look in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 beginning in verse 15. And we'll think about how to live in light of the reality that we truly know so little Now, King Solomon is the author of this book, and in Ecclesiastes, he tackles the tough topics of life. What's the point? What's the the meaning of life? How do we handle hard times? What about the confusing realities we see every day? Those are the things that that Solomon deals with in this book. Let's take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. In my futile life, I have seen everything. Someone righteous perishes in spite of his righteousness, and someone wicked lives long in spite of his evil. Don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp the one and do not let the other slip from your hand. For the one who fears God will end up with both of them. Wisdom makes the wise person stronger than ten rulers of a city. There is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. Don't pay attention to everything people say or you may hear your servant cursing you. For in your heart you know that many times you yourself have cursed others. So Solomon here speaks of his vain or his futile life. He's pointing to the reality that life is plagued by problems that he can't figure out. A righteous person dies in spite of the fact that he's righteous. A a wicked person goes on living and living and living in spite of the fact that he's wicked. Solomon doesn't explain this confusing reality, but he points believers to face life as it really is. As one writer said, Forewarned is forearmed. 1 Peter 4.12 says it like this. Don't be surprised, dear friends, when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. So when we see these kinds of circumstances, things that just don't seem right to us, we're tempted to judge a book by its cover. We see circumstances externally, but we don't see the full picture. So this kind of verdict is short-sighted, and Solomon helps us to see that as we we look at this book. In verse 16, Solomon surprises us. He says, don't be excessively righteous. It sounds as if he's saying, hey, don't be too holy, don't be too righteous. But we know that's not what he's saying. Throughout Scripture, we're encouraged to be righteous, to walk in holiness. So what is Solomon saying? He's saying, don't be self-righteous. Don't be... Too righteous, and that is to say, don't think that you're all that. He also says, don't be overly wise. Now, that sounds odd. He has underscored the importance of wisdom throughout this book. He has given us the Proverbs with its emphasis on wisdom. 
What Solomon is saying is this, don't be too wise. In other words, don't think that you're wiser than God, that you can tell God how things ought to go. Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14 says, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? You see, we can only know what God has revealed to us. When we become self-righteous and we begin to think we know more than God, we make stupid decisions. When, when we begin to think we're all that, we make dumb decisions. And ultimately, we destroy ourselves. We harm ourselves. In verse 17, Solomon says, don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish. Basically, Solomon says, if you make stupid, sinful decisions, you're going to suffer the consequences. If you continue down this path, Solomon says, you'll die before your time. An example, consider the fellow who begins using drugs casually and then becomes addicted and then eventually ODs. There's a concrete example of what Solomon's talking about here. There are obviously countless others. Solomon says in verse 18 that it's good to grasp the one and to keep hold of the other. Now, the one to grasp is what Solomon is talking about in verse 17, that taking the path of sin is a wrong move. And the other, to keep hold of the one, is is what he's talking about in verse 16, his warning about self-righteousness and thinking that you know more than God. And he urges us here, to have a godly fear. Be holy and wise, remembering that you're a sinner saved by God's grace. Grow in your faith, not becoming wise in your own eyes. In verse 19, wisdom gives great strength. In other words, the wisdom of God is greater than the collective wisdom of many experienced leaders. In verse 20, there's no one Righteous on earth who does good and never sins. In the original language, this statement is emphatic. Solomon is underscoring this reality. In other words, Solomon says this is a universal truth. Romans 3.23, which is familiar to many of us, says it like this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This points to the doctrine of total depravity. All people are broken and sinful. There's not one person who isn't. Now, this is a different picture of humanity than those embraced by people who reject God, by by the secularists, who try to argue that people are basically good. That's what they argue. But just look around the world. Read the comments section on a social media post. Look in the mirror. It's clear that Solomon is exactly right. We are all sinners, broken in our sin. We are, as the Reformers put it, totally depraved. In verse 21, Solomon warns not to pay attention to everything people say. He says, you may even hear your own servant cursing you. You see, the sinfulness of people is especially evident in our words We know that words reveal what's in our heart. Jesus taught that plainly. James 3.2 says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to control the whole body. Listening to all that people say can harm your peace. 
Solomon's saying, don't listen to all the things people say. And he reminds us that we too, we've spoken poorly of others. We've said things we shouldn't have said about other people. Now this underscores what Solomon's already said, that we're all sinners. This is just another manifestation of that reality. All people are are sinners, and we must learn to deal with each other as sinners. That means that people are going to wrong you, and we're going to wrong other people. It's, it's a reality this side of heaven. Has someone wronged you? Has, has someone done something to you, and you found it next to impossible to forgive them for that? How can you forgive someone for an offense? How? Well, you can remember the great grace of the Lord Jesus and the forgiveness that he's given you. You see, when we see the ugliness of our own sinfulness and how yucky and gross that is, then we can forgive other people. We can can bear with other people and be patient and long-suffering with others, for that's how God has treated us. So Solomon has made it clear we are all sinners Let's take a look at verse 23. I have tested all this by wisdom. I resolved I will be wise, but it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can discover it? I turn my thoughts to know, explore, and examine wisdom and an explanation for things. And to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap, her heart a net. And her hands chains. The one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Look, says the teacher, I've discovered this by adding one thing to another to find out the explanation, which my soul continually searches for but does not find. I found one person in a thousand, but none of those was a woman. Only see this, I've discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. So Solomon had tested what he wrote by by wisdom as he resolved to be wise. But these things were beyond him. You see, the wisdom that we can access can't answer the ultimate questions. Our understanding is limited. Solomon keeps underscoring the fact that we can't see. We just see a piece, a sliver. We're not God. And so these questions just reverberated in his heart, especially questions we see here about death. They left him puzzled. In verse 24, he says what exists, what, what has happened, it's, re, it's, it's, it's out of our reach. It's deep. Who can figure it out? Once again, God's purposes are far beyond us. A recurring theme that we see over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes. In verse 25, he sought to explore, to know, to to examine wisdom and an explanation for things, to to recognize the the stupidity of, of wickedness and the madness of folly. In these verses, once again, you see Solomon's determination to grasp wisdom, to get a hold of wisdom. He was looking for an explanation of all things. Clearly, he had thought seriously about life, but his search was ultimately a failure. He couldn't put all the pieces together. So while a comprehensive understanding of all things wasn't possible for Solomon, his recognition of this pushes him to examine 
the character of people. And in verses 26 through 29, he draws some conclusions about some things that he could understand. He found more bitter than death the the woman who was a trap. This woman's heart was a net and her hands chains. The one who pleases God, Solomon says, escapes this woman. but, But the sinner, he's caught. He's captured by her. Now Solomon is illustrating his point with a wicked woman. But his conclusions apply to all people, both both men and women. Here he's highlighting the allure of sexual sin. Intimacy outside of marriage is dangerous. Your moments of pleasure can lead to a lifetime of heartache in countless ways. Going to bed with whomever you want is a recipe for disaster. Solomon's underscoring that here. He had seen this, he had observed this, and frankly, he had experienced this. Intimacy is right only in the context of biblical marriage, the union of one man and one woman. Any sort of intimacy outside of marriage, sinful trap. So if you're single and longing for intimacy or you're married and you're unhappy with this aspect of your marriage and you wonder why God doesn't just fix your situation, don't let your questions keep you from doing the right thing now. Purity is always the right thing, even in your frustrations, even in your confusion. To enjoy life, you don't have to understand everything that God is doing, but you do need to walk in the wisdom you have. To do what you know is right and purity is always right. Always. Period. In verses 27 and 28, Solomon draws a general conclusion about men and women. And ladies, before you cancel Solomon here for being a chauvinist, he's using hyperbole in verses 27 and 28. Among a thousand people, he says he found one good man and not a single good woman. He's not suggesting that Women are worse than men. He's using this expression to make a point about all people. We're all a mess. That's what Solomon's saying. In verse 29, God created people upright, but but people took a different path. Remember Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve created in purity and without sin rebelled against uh, against God? And since that time, people are sinful. Pursuing, Solomon says here, all sorts of of sinful schemes. There's a lot that Solomon hasn't figured out. But one thing is plain to Solomon. People are fallen. He's already clearly made this point in verse 20. So what can we learn from Solomon this morning? Walk humbly in the fear of God. Walk humbly in the fear of God. Solomon is warned about the danger of pride and self-righteousness. He's cautioned against going off the rails into sin. He's noted the value of wisdom, though admitting he knows very little. He's noted our tendency toward sinful speech. He's warned of the danger of, of sexual sin. He's drawn the certain conclusion that all people are sinful. Amidst all of these realities, he calls us to walk humbly in the fear of God. Maybe you've heard the story of the army colonel who struggled with the sin of pride. He had been promoted to the position of colonel and he was getting settled in his new office. He heard a knock at the door and and the, the voice said, this is Private Johnson. May I see you, sir? 
And the colonel said, just a minute. Wanting to look impressive, he picked up his office telephone and he began to speak. He said very loud, yes, Mr. President, I, I understand, Mr. President. We will take care of it right away, Mr. President. He wasn't talking to the president, but he wanted to seem important. He wanted to be bigger than he really was. The colonel said, Mr. President, give me just a second. Then he said, come in, private. And he said, make it quick. I'm on the line with the president. Well, sir, the private said, I've come to hook up your office telephone. You see, when we think we're big stuff, we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. So Solomon urges us to walk humbly, humbly in the fear of God, recognizing our sinfulness, recognizing our limited understanding, recognizing our great need for him. So how do you walk humbly? In the fear of the Lord, according to, to what Solomon has written this morning, will first beware of both self-righteousness and depravity. Don't be overly righteous. Don't think of yourself as, as all that in a bag of chips. Solomon says, don't go there. Instead, realize that apart from Christ, you're a mess. So am I. We're desperately in need of God's grace and, and His forgiveness. You see, walking in humility helps us see our need for God, but it also helps us be patient with others. It helps us be understanding with others in their sin and in their failures because God has been understanding with us and our sin and failures and how we need that. Solomon also warns about being excessively sinful, giving in to our depraved desires. Realize that if you're giving in to your sinful desires, you're traveling a dangerous path like a jet flying at 36,000 feet that runs out of fuel. Friends, it's only a matter of time. We cannot follow our sinful desires without expecting disaster. In the verses that we've looked at today, Solomon underscored the universality of human sin. Every person is a sinner, and sin separates us from God. Because he's holy, sin keeps us out of heaven because heaven is a perfect place. And friends, this means that apart from Christ, every one of us is in a lot of trouble. God is holy, and we are sinful. We can't change that. We can't fix that on our own. But God in his great love sent his son Jesus. Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He was nailed to the cross and on the cross he took the punishment for our sins upon himself. He was buried and God raised him from the dead. And when we turn from our sins seeking his forgiveness and we place our faith in him, God forgives us of all of our sin. Every single sin. And he gives us Christ's perfect righteousness. Now, though a sinner, my sins can be forgiven. I can know the Lord personally. I can enter, when I die, a perfect heaven. Not because I've been good enough. That's a joke. But because the perfect righteousness of Jesus has been granted to me. Friend, I may not know you well. I may not know you 
at all. But I know this about you. You're a sinner. Don't be offended. I I am too. And you're desperately in need of the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. Me too. There was a time in my life when I turned from my sin and I placed my faith in Christ. And because of that, I have a relationship with Jesus. Has that happened in your life? Have you turned from your sin and called out to him and became a believer? Like the Lord has talked about a few moments ago? Have you? Friend, if you've never turned to him today, let today be the day that you have your sins forgiven. That Christ saves you and you have the assurance that one day God will take you home to be with him in the perfect place of heaven. So how do you walk humbly in the fear of God? Well, first, beware of self-righteousness and depravity. And second, don't lose heart when others speak poorly of you. And you, watch your own words. When you discover that people have have spoken poorly of you, don't, don't let that get you down. Unfortunately, people are often careless with words. You're a sinner and so am I. What they say may be true. It it may be right. So seek to live a godly life, asking forgiveness when you blow it, and move ahead. Solomon says, remember, you've spoken poorly of others. And recognize the power of your words to harm others. Gossip, a critical spirit, careless words. These wound people. Do you wound your spouse with your words? Do you say cruel things to your wife or to your husband? Do you wound your kids with your words? Children, do you wound your parents with your words? Teenagers? Do we wound co-workers or employees or, or supervisors? With cruel words, with careless words, with stupid words? Words that shouldn't be said? You see, our words can do serious harm. Think third-degree burns, not on the skin, but on the heart. So how do we walk humbly in the fear of God? Well, first, beware of self-righteousness and depravity. Second, don't lose heart when people speak poorly of you. And remember to be careful with your own words. Third, flee from sexual sin. Sexual sin is a trap. In our culture, there's an anything-goes mentality as long as it's consensual. As a society, we're not avoiding the trap. Instead, we're jumping headfirst into the trap. People cohabitating together, pornography, and all kinds of intimacy outside of the bounds of the biblical marriage of one man and one woman. This leads to hardship and trouble, and it is ultimately rebellion against a holy God. It never ends well. It never ends well. You see, in God's kindness, he gave us guardrails to to protect us in this volatile area of life. When we stay within those parameters, we're protected from a lot of pain. But when we disregard them, we invite all kinds of, of heartache and trouble into our lives. Oh, it'll be fun for a while. But the fun always ends And like a house that's been burned to the ground, we often find that our lives are left in ruins. So how do you walk humbly in the fear of God? Beware of self-righteousness and depravity. Don't lose heart when people speak poorly of you and be careful with your words. Flee from sexual sin. 
It has been said that pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the person who has it. Now you know, you've been around someone who was sure that he was a bit better than you and really everyone else too. Maybe she let you know right quick that she was important, that she had a lot of letters after her name. No one enjoys those kind of people. But are we those kind of people? Even in how we respond to God, are we sometimes those kind of people? You see, our sin can blind us, it can deceive us, it can trick us. Have you become arrogant? Are you self-righteous? Are you wiser than the wise? Ask the Lord this morning to show you the condition of your heart. Brothers and sisters, walk humbly in the fear of God. And if you're not a Christian and you're ready to trust Jesus and you're listening online, text the word Jesus to our church phone number and someone will be in contact with you. If you're here listening in person in just a few minutes, we'll stand and sing. When we do, myself and a couple of other elders will be here. We would love to visit with you more about how you can turn to Jesus in faith. Of course, you don't need to talk with one of us. You can talk to Jesus right where you're at, but we would love to walk alongside you in this journey. As a Christian, as you listen to these words, if you are a believer, what change do you need to make? Are you pretty proud of your, yourself? You, you do things right. You have your stuff together, not like most of those other people. If that's you, be very careful. Pride comes before a fall. Throughout this passage, Solomon has warned us not to be proud. So be careful of, of thinking you know more than God even, telling him how it all ought to work. That's one serious manifestation of our pride that's dangerous. It creates space between us and God. It can lead us down paths that are not good, that are destructive, harmful. Or are you playing around with sin this morning, seeing what you can get away with? Maybe sexual sin. Perhaps you're blind to any of the bad consequences at this point. I mean, everything seems to be going good. Friend, playing games with sin is like handling a rattlesnake. It's foolish. It's crazy. If that's you this morning, then turn from your sin. Ask the Lord to give you grace to help you repent, to, to throw that sin aside and to run to Him, to find life and joy in Him. Ask the Lord to help you walk in the fear of Him. In other words, ask Him to help you live the kind of life that would be pleasing to Him. Join me this morning in prayer.